Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors are Timmins Gold, Golden Arrow Resources, Miranda Gold, Paramount Gold, Sand Gold Corp., SGX Resources and Uranium Energy Corp. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Chris Kerr. Chris is a 33-year veteran of the FBI. He spent 26 of those years uh, as an agent and seven years as uh, doing intelligence for the FBI. He's now he is now a criminal defense attorney. Uh, he's also a best-selling author of RICO: How Politicians, Prosecutors, and the Mob Destroyed One of the FBI's Finest Special Agents. Uh, and he's also a legal expert. He is the author uh, of the 2010 Law Review article describing a hypothetical terrorist attack uh, using backpack bombs, believe it or not. Back in 2010, he talked about it and illustrated why agents need the same investigative tools uh, successfully used on drug dealers to track down terrorists. Well, I can't imagine why we wouldn't want to go after terrorists at least as much as uh, drug dealers. But uh, Chris worked as a, a case agent uh, an organize, on, on organized crime and drug cases and was a criminal division agent supervisor at FBI headquarters uh, and was repeatedly elected by his peers uh, to national leadership of organizations advocating for the professional concerns of FBI agents. Really good to have you, Chris. Thanks for coming on my show. Great to be with you. You know, I want to get into the topic of the day, which uh, your publicist had passed along, and that is the IRS scandal. But when I started looking into your uh, your story and your history, this, this is really intriguing, and I wish I had read the book, uh, Rico, How Politicians, Prosecutors, and the Mob Destroyed One of the FBI's Finest Special Agents. Who is the FBI agent you were talking about, and what can you tell us about him and, and your book uh, on that topic? Well, um, what we've done is we've written the true story of Paul Rico, 
was the agent's name, and he was a hero in the FBI's war on organized crime. Um, back when Bobby Kennedy finally, as Attorney General, finally got the Bureau into the uh, the war on the mob, um, Paul Rico was a, then a young agent in the 60s, and he 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 really wrote the book on working organized crime uh, cases, dismantling uh, their organizations and going after their top people. He put the head of the New England Mafia in prison twice. Mm. Uh, by developing high-level informants in the mafia. Um, fast forward to 2003, and he's 78 years old and retired, living a, in a condo in Miami Lakes, Florida, and was arrested and charged with murder in a conspiracy with Whitey Bulger, who's about to go on trial in Boston. Um, the... Uh, the murder of a self uh, self made millionaire in uh, um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a man by the name of Roger Wheeler, um, and uh, that murder occurred in 1981. So it's a 22-year-old murder at the time he's arrested, hmm. and uh, he was held without bond, thrown in uh, jail in Miami, removed to Oklahoma to Tulsa a state that he'd never set foot in previously. Um, and he died shackled to a jail bed before he ever had even an initial, you know, uh, preliminary hearing on the charges. He was just charged in a complaint, uh, you know, n- n- not even a grand jury indictment, which is typical in Oklahoma criminal cases. But in any event, he was, he was charged with this murder and died... Uh, uh, actually was overdosed with blood thinners is what we found out. So hmm. myself and a, and a, and a uh, retired FBI assistant director and then an investigative reporter, the three of us teamed up. We spent about five years investigating this. And when we started, we didn't know whether this agents have gone bad before. We didn't know whether this agent was guilty. We'd never met him. We mm-hmm. didn't know who really that much about him. Uh, sad to say, and we didn't know whether he was guilty of murder or not. And uh, what we were just astounded at uh, what we found uh, over the course of that five-year investigation. And basically, the bottom line for us was that he was uh, he was framed by two mob killers, who each admitted to many many murders, and basically uh, fed a naive detective and a, and a willing prosecutor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a story that, uh, that bought, uh, bought them, uh, in one case, one of the, the actual killer, the trigger man for the murder mm-hmm. and many other murders, uh, a man by the name of John Martirano, uh, is actually walking free based on the deal he made with the government in this mm-hmm. case. Um, Bulger is still charged in the case as a conspirator. And the other... Um, uh, mobster, uh, also an admitted killer, uh, Steve Fleming, who will testify in this upcoming trial in Boston. Um, he bought his way out of the needle in Oklahoma and Florida is what he was facing, was the death penalty in two states where they do still execute people mm-hmm. um, by, by, uh, by telling a, just a completely ridiculous, uncorroborated 
story that we go into in some detail in the book. Uh, we've got a lot of information on a website, ricobook.com, okay. that lays some of this stuff out. But, uh, but the thing is, is that this was tied to, this was in the media um, firestorm that arose out of the, uh, the actual real corruption in Boston uh, surrounding Whitey Bulger. He was connected to that and ended up uh, testifying without uh, taking the fifth or claiming immunity, testified willingly, which is one of the things that really got us interested in this case, was that Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this investigation had been going on for 20-some years, and uh, uh, Paul Rico showed up in front of Congress and testified in front of this House committee and said, you know, I've been in law enforcement my entire life. I'm not going to take the fifth. I'll answer mm-hmm. any question they have. And that, that impressed us. Uh, that uh-huh. got us interested in looking into this. And it was what we found was just uh, uh, pretty amazing. Um, did, you know, did Rico, did he have any defense at all? Did he have, a, a, did he have any a defense attorney? Yeah, yeah. Um, he did have a defense attorney, but there was no, um, the only, uh, the, the case had not gotten very far. It was only charged in a complaint. In fact, what they, what they do, a little sidelight here, is that the after investigating this thing for 22 years, the, uh, the district attorney, I'm not talking about an assistant district attorney, I'm talking about the elected district attorney in Tulsa mm-hmm. County, flew to Boston, took a statement from Steve Fleming, came back with the detective, and went across the street or wherever they had to go to a... A the uh, basically the equivalent of a justice of the peace, mm-hmm. uh, which is rather unusual in a case like this, yeah. and swore out a warrant. Uh, the the actual the the judge was someone who had just finished an internship in the uh, district attorney's office, and they filed an affidavit and were issued an uh, arrest warrant. And that's as far as it got in the court system. There was never a preliminary hearing. There was never any, you know, substantive chance to, uh, I mean, he desperately wanted to stay alive, uh, according to his daughter, uh, who uh, um, he, I think his, three of his children are attorneys. One of them was there uh, just before he died and said he just wanted to live long enough to clear his name. Sure. Uh, but uh, but there was no really no opportunity to do that before he had died in early January in 2004. So uh, what we were just we were amazed at, at what kind of a person he was, what kind of an agent, his career, the things that he did as an agent. Uh, he flew uh, missions in World War II, won three Bronze Stars in bombing missions over Europe. Uh, his family didn't even know about. That's the kind of a private wow. person he was. He, uh, incidentally, uh, if you remember the uh, case against Al C. Hastings, the judge the, uh, that was impeached, who's now a congressman in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, a few years back for uh, taking bribes, um, he was called out of retirement to, to serve as the undercover agent in that case. He charged the FBI a dollar for that. Huh. Um, there's just so so many... You don't have enough time to go into to, uh, some of the fascinating details that we came up with. But this, what this book does demonstrate is, um, you know, using our experience and insights into the criminal justice system, and particularly um, 
these kinds of investigations is how the system can go off the rails once politics gets involved. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's it's a horrible miscarriage of justice, and I think what you're talking about, you know, as the last guest and I talked about the notion that you know people don't seem to realize that if if there's a miscarriage of justice against one person, it means that there's more likely to be one against us. I mean, this is right. something that we should all be very concerned about because. Right. Uh, you know what's going on here. You you uh, you know you make the case in your book, and I haven't read the book yet. I've I've got to get a copy of it and read it. But uh, you know you make the case. Apparently, where's the media on this thing? Well, they do. They were enjoying. You know, uh, excuse my language of just enjoying the hell out of this whole thing. I mean, they sure. they they took the. Uh, um, you know, one of the things that we were astounded early on. My partner, partner and I, after collecting a lot of information and documents, decided that the only that since there was no court proceeding, we were going to be vulnerable if we found out if we determined that that uh, that there was no no case here against Paul Rico. If if that's what we found, mm-hmm. we were going to be vulnerable to criticism. That well, you can't possibly know what the evidence was since this case never went to trial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so what we did is we um, engineered a uh, uh, a meeting with the detective who had been with the case, kind of a Captain Ahab on the case for the, for the entire twenty two years. The acknowledged expert on the case, uh, a detective by the name of Mike Huff in Tulsa, and we flew out to Tulsa and spent several hours with him and just said, "Look, lay it out for us." Did this guy, if he did it, what did you have? And he was very open with us, but what it, what it boiled down to was that he, that he was depending on the uncorroborated statements of these two mobsters. One, you know, neither one of them who had met the, um, or discussed the murder, even claimed to have discussed the murder with Paul Rico, who was, mm. by the way, in Miami at the time. As of 1970, Paul Rico was living and working in Miami mm. uh, for, for a, a world high lie, which is a whole other aspect to this, because it was just automatically assumed by those in law enforcement that world high license involved betting was corrupt and mobbed up. Yeah. But there, we investigated that uh, uh, to the nth degree, and there, there were allegations of uh, of uh, skimming, you know. But this isn't what we found. Is this isn't the kind of industry like in Las Vegas where you have cartloads of cash going back and forth to the counting room? There's all kinds mm-hmm. of paper trails involved in this betting, and it's very, very. Uh, difficult to impossible to cover up any kind of a skimming operation. In, in any event. Yeah. Rico was in Miami at this time and and had no contact with these these two uh mobsters. They yeah. they were uh basically the the detective uh was convinced early on that this agent had been involved in the uh in the murder and when he got the opportunity based on uh on the uh the what happened in Boston in the 90s with the um Whitey Bulger and and corruption mess up there. He got the opportunity to to pitch these two two mobsters and f- basically mm. we think feed them the information that he wanted. In other words, get them to just just merely allege that mm-hmm. they 
got some sort of assistance by telephone from this agent, completely uncorroborated. Well, uh, it's you know we're, we're supposed to have a we're supposed to have a system of justice here that uh, you're innocent until proven guilty, and this man was never. You know, obviously, he was proven not guilty by your work and, and the work of your colleague there. But well, so um, so he was framed. Uh, are you as a de- as a defense attorney? Then, are uh, what kind of cases are you looking to to take cases like this, or what are you what are you involved well, with? What I order, what I do really uh, is is federal criminal defense work here in the Tampa mm-hmm. area, uh, including appeals. That's what mm-hmm. that's what the majority of my legal work is since mm-hmm. I uh, left law school in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, aside from being involved in this particular investigation, which was uh, grew to be a labor of love, uh, once we got into it and found out what we were dealing with, and, and, and as I alluded to earlier, what, what really got us going on this was our visit to Tulsa to meet with the detective, because we were perfectly prepared to believe that mm-hmm. this agent could have been guilty up to that point. Sure. And, and said, look, you know, we want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lay it out for us. Why do you think this agent uh, was guilty? And what we got was, well, you know, I, there isn't much, but you should see all of the other things. This guy was gay. He had a homosexual relationship with J. Edgar Hoover and Clyde <laughs> Tolson, the number two guy in the FBI at the time. And So that and would make him with- guilty of murder, I guess. I said, well, okay, well, we want to hear about that, but let's get back to the case you charged him with. Let's talk about that first. You know, I mean, and that's, that's where that went. And we, we then left there and, uh, by the way, went to uh, um, the, the son of the murder victim. Hmm. I, I told you this murder occurred in May 1981. Roger mm-hmm. Wheeler, Jr., the victim's namesake, is mm-hmm. a wealthy executive still in Tulsa. He kept Rico on the payroll of World Highline, the son did, for the next 15 years until they sold the company. Oh. So we went to see, we went to see him to, to get his view on, on the murder of his father. And, and uh, he was just, we walked into his office. He, as I said, he's a wealthy executive there now. And he had a framed picture of himself and Paul Rico on his credenza. That gave mm-hmm. us a little bit of a clue where he was coming from. He was mm-hmm. just appalled that Paul Rico had been charged in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. That's, well, it's an incredible that's, miscarriage of justice, and I, I'm sure there's more more things like that that go on than most of us know. But the fact that the media doesn't seem to care or hasn't seemed to care about the justice, uh, maybe there's more people running around, obviously, that don't want this to be known about. Well, they really don't, and of course, there are no. There's, there's, you know, once once you're dead, uh, neither you nor your heirs can can file a libel uh, yeah. or a, a slander um, civil case. Yeah. So they can say whatever they want, and if it makes yeah. the story more interesting, they can, you know, they can add whatever details they think necessary. Well, I think this is something that all Americans should be concerned about because, as I say, a, a miscarriage of justice against one is a miscarriage of justice against all. So, But let's talk about something else more current now, and that's the IRS scandal. Sure. Uh, the administration and the press seem to want to say that it was limited to some local Cincinnati IRS office. What, what do you think is going on here? Well, 
I, I just can't imagine there's anybody above the age of five years old that believes that anymore. Um, I mean, everyone wants Congress or someone to get to the bottom of this. Of this, with, you know, it's a growing scandal here at the IRS, and, and I think it has to be dealt with decisively, or we can just give up any pretense of any democratic control of our government. Um, but, but the uh, the abuse of the of the IRS to suppress free speech, mm-hmm. political organizing on any side, it, it's it's the most serious kind of uh, corruption imaginable and has to be fully exposed but but um the my my question is is a criminal investigation the best way to go about it i mean the biggest questions uh, and uh, are you know surround who orchestrated this and how high up does it go um you know, as you mentioned, the, the pretense that a couple of rogue employees in one office did this is just completely ridiculous. I mean, nobody believes that. But uh, the, the the problem is that, the, you know, the Department of Justice has launched a criminal investigation. They've announced uh, an FBI investigation into this scandal. And the, the problem is that much of what was done in this hugely important uh, constitutional uh, violation may not be a crime and might not be criminal. And this this criminal investigation looks, to me anyway, like it's designed to keep us from getting to the bottom of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think we can afford not to get to the bottom of it. I mean, every every productive citizen in the country experiences the coercive, uh, you know, has some sort of coercive contact with the IRS now and pretty soon with Obamacare, every citizen in the country is going to have a relationship with the IRS. So uh, the, the, the problem with the criminal investigation of some vaguely defined or, or uh, 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 criminal violations is, is that it's destined to drag on for years. And if there are any prosecutions years from now, which I think is doubtful, they're, they're going to be insignificant. And meanwhile, important officials like Lois Lerner, who appear, you know, they, who appear to have played a major role in this um, and even o- orchestrated the phony leak about it, with, I guess in consultation with the White House, uh, White House officials, they have cover to take the fifth. Mm. Yeah, so you, you can't know, touch I mean, it. Which is a huge problem. Um, and she undoubtedly knows where a lot of the bodies are buried in this thing. Um, so I see that as a as a major problem. Now Congress can can give immunity um, to these witnesses, use immunity, meaning that whatever they say in their testimony cannot be used in a criminal prosecution. Right. Well, that's that's interesting. I. Um the, the Attorney General Holder, uh, you know, has ordered the investigation, uh, the FBI, right? So the FBI is involved in, in, in right. supposedly investigating this. And I'm just wondering, yeah, it, um, you know, I, I spoke to Judge Napolitano here in New York recently, and he said that he thought there was a chance that we could see uh, Obama go by the way of, uh, the, the way of Nixon. Uh, and if, uh, and he said, and if so, rightly so in his view, but... Uh, you know, I'm thinking back to the days of Nixon. I'm old enough to remember the investigation. I that was too. all done in the press primarily, wasn't it? I mean, it was... Right. It, 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 Obama still has a friendly press. I mean, you know, he Nixon didn't have did the not. press that Nixon had. 
Um, yeah. So I don't see, and, and this FBI investigation, this is not like a bank robbery investigation where the agents go out and collect the evidence and go to the U.S. Attorney's Office and get a warrant for someone. Right. This, every single step in this case will be run by uh, Department of Justice uh, attorneys and officials. And big decisions will be made by the Attorney General himself in a case like this. So this is not going to be any kind of independent inquiry. And meanwhile, everything else is on the back burner um, because, you know, without this investigation pending, a witness, I mean, Lois Lerner, took, they, they took a lot of heat when she took the fifth, mm-hmm. uh, as you saw. Yes. But the heat would have been unbearable if there was no pending criminal investigation. And, and I don't see, even in, in Eric Holder's announcement of the investigation, the, there was an allusion to possible vague criminal violations, and I guess they're talking about, um, as far as the targeting of various groups goes, they're yes. talking about civil rights, uh, conspiracies to deprive citizens of their civil rights. While mm-hmm. that almost certainly occurred, the idea that that's ever going to be prosecuted, I think, is pretty far-fetched. Yeah. Um, now, leaking tax information, or information from IRS files, that is a crime. But still, I mean, is it, what's more important? Is it more important to get, to find out just how big a, a, a conspiracy was involved here and who, how high up it went? It seems to me like that's the most important thing. And to do something institutionally to make sure that it can't happen no matter who's uh, in the White House. Right. Right. That's the biggest. It was seeing some low-level employees or even a lowest learner go to jail is relatively unimportant compared to that. Right. Of well, course. Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's justice. It's uh, it's the law. But it seems to me that we have um, people in high places that don't pay a whole lot of attention to the law these days. I mean, certainly, right. The notion that Americans uh, can be killed with a drone uh, attack. Uh, if the President of the United States just seems to think they might be um, dangerous or uh, i mean i it just seems to me that we 're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty i 've been on i 've been a juror a couple of times, and I can remember the importance of the judge pointing out how important it is uh, to realize that person that we were going to try uh, was innocent until proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. And now we can just go ahead, and uh, uh, Mr. Obama can order the drones to uh, to take care of to take an American citizen out. I, I don't know. I mean, Eric Holder defended that. Uh, right. I, it's hard for me to see, you know, why he would have any problems or any qualm at all about about doing what the IRS is accused of doing, or why, how he would ever stand up against that if he felt it was beneficial to the. You know, to to take the other side. So he's I don't one know. of the it's most political attorney generals that we've ever had. Uh, there's no question about that. But uh, I mean, this drone business I, is is a little bit out of my bailiwick. It's a. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the war powers of the president, and that gets can get pretty complicated. Um, and I'm not. Uh, you know, I think there should be That's some changes there. I'm not. I'm not That's sure not- that this equates to that, but I do. I think this is this is right in their wheelhouse here. I mean, this the idea that the most powerful and coercive agency in the government. I mean, m- most people live their entire lives and never meet an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. 
But everybody, almost everybody who does anything productive deals with the IRS at least once a year yeah. uh, or, or more. Soon, under Obamacare, everybody will have a relationship with the IRS. And if you think that their decisions are going to be based in part on your political contributions or the, your viewpoints, mm-hmm. then what the damage that that does to our system is just immeasurable. I mean, we, we turn into a... Uh, uh, you know the old, uh, East, an old uh, Eastern Bloc country like East Germany was right. at that point. I mean that that I, I just don't see how we can let this one it, go. But it's being done very um, in a very um, let's say uh, uh, in a manner that one wouldn't suspect it's happening. I mean, it's, we've had a, a guest on this show named Dmitry Orlov who grew up under the Soviet Union and saw that things fall apart, and he's written a book called. Uh, the five stages of collapse, and Dimitri says, with respect to our propaganda machine, we have one that's far superior to anything the Soviets had. He said, there at least you saw the hammer and sickle on the wall. The big thugs would come around and beat the hell out of you if you didn't do what they said, and you knew who you're dealing with. Here he says you've got people that are well-dressed, I suppose the Eric Holders of this world, well-spoken, well-educated with the right kind of degrees, and they're here telling you why it's good for you. Uh, why you right. should, you know, and it's it's very disheartening. You have, um, uh, there was one other topic I wanted to talk, oh, I know what it was. Uh, we have a, a couple of minutes left yet. Y- you had warned people about backpacks and the, and the possibility of, uh, of the th- very thing that happened in Boston, I guess. Is that right? You had written an article, I think, for... Right, a, and that a, really wasn't the focus of the article. The article was on, uh, on the... the, the this strange set of affairs we had even this long after 9-11 where, where the agents uh, following drug dealers and, or, and or, members of organized crime have a much easier time getting information, uh, to con- you know, getting dots to connect, so to speak, mm-hmm. than do the agents following potential terrorists. I mean, if, I, if, if, if someone gave me, uh, as an agent, a tip that a house was being used as a distribution point for marijuana, mm-hmm. I could get all kinds of records, phone records and all kinds of things with administrative subpoenas, very easy to get, in hours. Uh-huh. If someone gave me the same tip that it was, they, the same home was a headquarters for al-Qaeda activity, it could take months to get the same information. And a lot of the information would be, you know, practically unavailable. The same kind of information I could get in a drug case. That's what that article was, uh, was, uh, was aimed at. But I use an example of put yourselves in the shoes of an FBI agent following these terrorists. And it involved, you know, setting off backpack bombs in crowded shopping malls. In, in coordinated attacks, in, in very, you know, low-tech attack, similar to what happened in Boston. Um, and that was the, you know, the objective. The agent was trying to track down those involved and prevent such an attack and how difficult that is under the current law um, uh, as it exists. Well, that's very interesting. You mentioned that uh, if it was an al-Qaeda um, threat, it would be very difficult to get that information, much more difficult than if it were a drug-related uh, uh, accusation. What if it were a right-wing terrorist organization in America? Would it be equally difficult to get information on him as yes. al-Qaeda? Yes. It would be, yes. okay. So that's the law. 
Right, yeah, because you would have, as, as working counterterrorism, you would have to use, if you had no criminal case, you would have to use uh, national security letter, letters, which are like subpoenas, but they're very limited, and they have to be signed by a fairly high-level official. They're difficult to get and use and yeah. carefully controlled, and it, it's just, it may take a month to get the same information you can get in a marijuana case in hours, and it's just crazy i think yeah uh, uh, yeah it, it, it would seem to be and we of course we're putting all these people in jail we have more people in jail than any other country in in the uh, in the united uh, in the world as i understand it right. uh, many of them for marijuana and yet we have uh as you say well here in new york city when i get on the subway we're always um you know we're always admonished by a, a loudspeaker to uh, if you see something, say something. Right. Um, and I guess, I suppose, you know, that's, that's healthy, except that I don't like the idea. It just seems so much like a police state in a way that's being, right. uh, that, is, that, is, uh, that is taking place. And, you know, the uh, freedom of speech, all these things, what is the answer for us here, uh, Chris? What are, what are we going to do? Because it seems to me that, as our last guest suggested, that, you know, things are coming off track for America right now. I, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I think we, we have to take back control of the, you know, restore constitutional government, in my opinion, uh-huh. in this country. I think that the, the Constitution, in large part, has become a dead letter yeah. in this country. Uh, I hate yeah. to say that. It yeah. makes me very sad to say that. But yes. we've, become an, we, we've ceded all this power to this administrative state that can mm-hmm. pick people off one at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you pass Without, a law, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to pass a, a law, for Congress to pass a law involves everybody knowing what's going on and, and organizing coalitions and a lot of publicity and, and public activity. Uh, the administrative state, they just issue regulations that have the force of law. Mm-hmm. And then they, and, and, and there's really nothing very difficult to do anything about. Uh, those no. regulations, and if you find yourself on the wrong end uh, in the enforcement mechanism, you know, good luck finding anybody who cares about your plight. Well, that's uh, that's of course the case that you were talking about uh, uh, earlier in the show, and it's it's really sad. But it's good that you are doing what you can, uh, Chris, uh, as a defense attorney, and uh, uh, I really admire what you've done. I, I would like to. I've got to get a copy of your book and read it, and maybe have you back on again sometime. I'd love uh, to. to talk to talk more about that and other issues that are coming up. Is there any way that people can follow what you're doing now? Well, this, uh, as far as the book so far, just the website ricobook.com. Okay. Um, that has the the uh, the most inf- information that I can you know provide okay. at this point. Excellent. Very good. Well, I want to thank you very much, Chris, for coming on and uh, enlightening our listeners. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Great. My pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to come right back. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the uh, some of the stock recommendations that I made for my own subscribers this last weekend. I do think we are in a period of time looking more on the bright side, uh, at least that there are some opportunities uh, in the markets to make uh, to make some good money now, especially since gold and silver has really been have really been knocked down very uh, to a great extent. I think there's lots of opportunities. So I'm going to talk to you about some of those when we come back after the break. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, well, we uh, had a discussion with uh, certainly not not directly related to economics today with uh, Michael Evans and then Chris Kerr. Uh, but in my way of thinking, everything is connected uh, to economics in one way or another. Uh, we were talking about the injustice uh, with Chris Kerr about the, uh, the drug, uh, the accused, falsely accused agent uh, that, who was, uh, that was, uh, ended up losing his life in prison when he was put, uh, uh, erroneously put in, in prison uh, by people who were framing him. And um, uh, then we talked to, also to Chris about the issue of the IRS silencing us and not allowing, uh, using the IRS, the Obama administration using the IRS to snuff out political freedom, uh, freedom of expression, the First Amendment rights, if you will, uh, it, it is uh, chilling uh, what's going on in, in the United States. We talked, to, of course, to Michael Evans, uh, also talked about how the military uh, is, uh, is not allowing people to, uh, to, express, uh, to express any sort of uh, negative uh, ideas about the Taliban, about, uh, to express uh, in favor of women's rights, to say bad things about pedophilia. Uh, lots of things going on in this country that I think are very, very disturbing, and um, I, uh, you know, so we could go on and on about those things. And uh, you know, I think I think uh, the premise of this show is uh, turning hard times into good times. Is that in order to, to to make things better, you have to deal with reality. You have to deal with what really is going on. You can't just put your head in the sand and 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 make believe that everything is all right. I mean, it's easier to do that. I don't know how many people I talked to about uh, fiat money and Mr. Bernanke's big lies and what he's doing, uh, the statistical lies that come out of the BL, uh, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, that are 
designed to keep us thinking that things are fine. Uh, you know, I think it was um, one of the people we just talked to said that you know Kim Kardashian's the color of her of her bra is more important to people than some of these issues. I mean, it's it's incredible. So it's like um, we don't really care about the things that really matter. Well, of course, we do care about the things that matter directly. We have to put food on our table. We have to pay the rent. We have to take care of our families. We want to take care of our families. We want to do what's right. I think we should want to do what's right, and. Um, so uh, I think that um, you, you know we need to pay attention. I really believe uh, more than ever that my professor uh, Peyton Yoder back at Heston College back in 1967 was right when he suggested or when he uh, when he provided this notion that if you debase the currency, you are uh, that correlated with that will be a loss of work ethic and a loss of morality. And I think there's no question in my mind that there is a correlation. I'm not saying it's cause and effect. I'm not saying print money and you'll have a more immoral system. Well, I kind of am. What I'm saying is that if you have a promiscuous monetary system, it encourages bad behavior. You'll have more of it. I'm not saying that that's the root of it, but I'm saying, um, well, it was a good book that said the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So uh, perhaps that is more closely to what our problem is today in America, the love of money. So now you give the people that are in charge the ability to create money out of thin air uh, and then redistribute it in their direction at the cost of all those who are really doing things that are worthwhile for us. And I like to say the people that really create the wealth, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, the people that really create goods and services that are used by other people, that's the middle class, and the middle class is being destroyed. The parasites in government and on Wall Street are eating away at the muscle fiber of the middle class. So, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you don't allow freedom of expression, uh, you do allow it to the extent it's not threatening, I suppose, on shows like this, on Michael Evans' shows, uh, other other places. But, boy, you don't hear this message from the mainstream, do you? And you don't hear it from the mainstream, I think, because the mainstream is controlled by that very money that's being created out of thin air. Well, that's a, a, enough editorializing, I suppose, for the moment. Uh, let's go to um, – I just wanted to talk to you a little bit at the first part of the show about Charles Nanner's latest views on several of the markets – uh, with respect to the big market, and we're looking at the S&P today lost uh, 10 points, the Dow lost 92, the NASDAQ was down 25. So those are pretty big, pretty good, pretty big hits. And of course, benefiting from that then was uh, the bond market, 10-year bond market. Uh, 10-year bonds gained uh, 0.14, 14 basis points today. Uh, so the bond markets were stronger, usually benefits from uh, weakness in the stock market for now at least. Uh, but if we look at, uh, uh, at the equity markets, I mean, the most important thing is where do we go from here? And if you talk to people like Robert Prechter, um, you know, he thinks most certainly we're heading lower. Uh, the bottom line in the Elliott Wave financial forecast uh, reads as follows. The Dow Jones Industrial Average turned lower from May 22nd high of 15,542. Uh, as the index completed its upward wave structure, simultaneously meeting two separate trend lines. The decline began amidst the calming congressional testimony of the United States Federal Reserve Board chairman and an announced rise in housing prices. This should turn out to be the ideal shot of optimism attending the final high. 
So the uh, Elliott Wave forecast is predicting, and Robert Prechter is predicting, a Dow Jones that ultimately collapses below 1,000. That is almost unthinkable and unbelievable even uh, by people like me who, are, who believe that the real market wants to deflate and that the real trend is towards, uh, uh, if left alone to its own devices, uh, would be a deflation that would make the 1930s look like child's play. Um, and I might also mention, though, that Robert uh, McHugh, Dr. Robert McHugh, who I've had on this show but not for some time, I uh, did mention that there has been a confirmed Hindenburg omen, which means there's a 25% chance of a crash in the market. Of course, that means there's a 75% uh, no crash. Uh, but the, uh, his, his view is that we are getting very close, and by very close meaning perhaps months away, uh, uh, many months away, from a major decline, uh, a decline for the ages in the equity markets and uh, McHugh. Uh, is, if not as dire as uh, Prechter, is, is certainly out there a long ways and believes that we're going to see an equity market that comes tumbling down uh, very, very hard. Well, uh, you know, those are views. I think that Charles Nanner's view, uh, really, um, Charles isn't trying to predict where things are going. He's looking constantly at cycles. Uh, so using cycles and logarithms and various other technical tools, he does come up with uh, with probabilities and views of where the markets are going. And everything that I see from Charles' work so far has been very, very good. Uh, I have used some of his work to trade, and uh, I might mention that uh, that those of you listening to this show can go can request a one month free trial from Charles Nanner Research. Uh, just Google Charles Nanner Research and contact them. Uh, I get it's uh, three times, four times a week actually. This uh, comes out, and I find it very helpful um, in in uh, in guiding me. For example, uh, the gold and silver markets, which are very very important to me, uh, because that's where I write about mostly. That's where I have most of my money in that sector, most of the retirement money, and my uh, modest. Uh, portfolio is in uh, gold and silver shares and in other related investments, a good portion of it. Uh, Charles has been very consistent here, suggesting that we're going to see one more low in the gold and silver markets and that mid-June is his turn date. So we're getting very close there now. We're maybe, you know, 10 days away or so from uh, sort of the time that Charles Nanner is suggesting that we could see yet a low in gold of 1285 and a low in silver of $12 and 10, or $21, I'm sorry, and 10 cents. Um, with respect to the S&P and the NASDAQ, the major markets, uh, he also thinks that we could go a little higher, but he also believes that, um, that we could be, uh, in for some real, uh, some big downturns as well there. Uh, he says um, the markets had been on a sell signal for a few days before it took a real hit last Friday. Still, we are not very bearish. As long as the S&P does not close below 1610, um, and then he says in a few days, the short-term cycle is bottoming, and it seems that risk on the S&P is limited to around 1613. We think that longer-term weakness can continue. However, since our overall technical model does not let us go short, we continue to stand aside. We are long iShares volatility. And I might just mention that the specific ETF that he uses for that volatility, the symbol 
uh, is UVXY, and it's ProShares Ultra VIX, and the symbol is UVXY. Um, and that has worked out quite well uh, for me since I purchased some of those uh, when he first recommended it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with respect to crude oil, uh, he says crude is on a sell signal. Uh, although weekly cycles are down, as shown yesterday's, uh, in yesterday's chart, the next projected short-term low is around June 17th. Uh, and a close above 94.70 will cancel the sell signal. And that gas, natural gas, which I also have uh, have traded successfully on a modest scale, uh, Charles is saying our, seg- our sell signal in that gas was given since there was a close below $4.05. However, downside risk seems to be limited to $3.75. The next short-term low is projected around June 12th, which is not enough time for a good short sale. So he's suggesting that we, uh, that we stay away from that uh, as well. And uh, with respect to U.S. bonds, he's uh, talking about the continued um, – that he still has uh, the U.S. bonds on a sell signal – uh, and he is looking for, he says, we have a downside price target for the 30-year around 138.12 and the downside price target of 129 for the 10-year. So those are some of the ideas that Charles Nanner is uh, passing along. And again, you can uh, avail yourself to this service, a trial service, free of charge, uh, Google Charles Nanner Research. Uh, and as David Gerwitz has, uh, has told you, please feel free to do that. Uh, they are trying to... Get people to understand and to appreciate the work that Charles Nanner, who was 15 years uh, with Goldman Sachs, um, very accomplished man. I met him in New York City a, a few uh, weeks back, and um, a very impressive individual. So I would suggest that you um, that you uh, avail yourself to Charles Nanner Research. Just Google and follow up on that. Well, I'm going to come back. We do have to go to a commercial break. When I come back, I will get to some of the recommendations I made in my newsletter last week. So don't go away. I'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network golden arrow resources on the tsx exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6500 meter program on that discovery a maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in april of this year the project is located in Jujuy province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Paramount Gold is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce advanced stage gold and silver projects in the mining-friendly jurisdictions of Nevada and northern Mexico. Backed by a strategic investor and a strong balance sheet, an experienced management team has completed preliminary economic assessments on both projects, showing robust economics and immense potential for increasing ounces and mine life. For more information, go to ParamountGold.com or follow on Twitter, PZG News. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. 
Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We have a few minutes we have left here. I do want to pass along some of the uh, ideas that I passed on to my paid subscribers this past weekend. I do feel that we are near a turning point. Charles Nanner is suggesting the middle of uh, June for a turning point uh, in gold and silver. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I believe that the policymakers were getting it right and that we were going to be heading back to some healthy growth uh, in the economy, then I couldn't be so bullish on gold and silver. But honestly, uh, there is nothing that's being done by the policymakers that give me any assurance uh, that they're allowing the markets to work. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I have to say that, that um, I have to stick with the, the views that I've had uh, over the past decade or so, and that is that gold and silver are the place to be. That said, we've just come through an enormous correction, a very, very significant correction that I think lay, uh, lays the groundwork for some in- very significant profits that are likely to be made in the uh, metal shares. But I am, uh, I am l- really still very concerned and want to be cautious uh, with respect to the kinds of companies we buy. I think there's now a growing number of producers that have cash flow that can grow organically that I'm really in favor of. And one that I recommended to my subscribers last week is Mandalay Resources Corp. Traded uh, in Toronto under the symbol MND. And you can buy it in the United States in the pink sheets under MNDJF. Uh, it's paying about a 4% dividend now. It's a very profitable little company. It is paying 6% of its, uh, of its revenues in dividends, and we expect the, divid- the revenues to grow uh, with, by 2014 uh, to double where they are now. So, uh, you know, we could be looking at the equivalent of about 8% on, current, on the current share price in dividends if, uh, if the company uh, comes through. Of course, if the gold and silver prices go up a lot, uh, then those revenues could also, could also grow dramatically. There's no there is no guarantee, of course, that dividends will be paid, but that is the goal and the um, the intent of management, and they put that into in in writing as well. Uh, so Mandalay Resources uh, selling at about eighty three cents today was one of the recommendations that I made. And uh, what this company was formed, in fact, to take advantage of the plunge in prices in 2008, 2009. Meantime, they started the company then. They've already got a profitable business. Uh, and I think now they have a second opportunity to pick up more 
uh, low-priced properties. Now they have the cash flow to do it with. The second company that I recommended this week is Prophecy Platinum Corp., and I have had them as a recommendation in the past. This is a company that I think is a remarkable, fantastic uh, opportunity in the platinum group metals. Uh, I think it is better than anything South Africa has, including Ivan Platts. Uh, the one issue that seems to be uh, the most, the, the greatest risk uh, to those that look at this project is the metallurgy. But recently, with Greg Johnson taking over uh, at the company, Greg has a remarkable past uh, track record in terms of handling major projects. Uh, this is a huge project, uh, very large, high grades, and the mining. Uh, the dimensions of the mining widths and, and thickness uh, is far superior to anything Ivan Platts has. If they get the metallurgical issue worked out, and I expect they will, then I think this is going to be a home run. Prophecy Platinum, NKL is a symbol in Canada, uh, and you can buy it in the U.S. under the symbol M. Uh, I'm sorry, PNIKF. NKL in Canada, PNIKF. Uh, 68.7 million shares of stock outstanding, 7 million ounces of platinum group metals and gold, 2 billion pounds of nickel, 2 billion pounds of copper. Uh, preliminary economic assessment was a $973 million valuation. I think it's going to be better than that when they uh, optimize the metallurgy. Uh, Columbus Gold was one I mentioned as well. Uh, it's a company that's operating uh, in French Guiana has just under 5 million ounces. Uh, stock is selling for pennies. Uh, another stock that I think is well worth looking at. So those are three that I mentioned. We should talk about next week. We're going to have uh, some very interesting guests coming on. Karen Houdis, uh, whistleblower uh, for the, um, uh, against the uh, World Bank, will be with us. And also we're going to be talking to Len uh, Lamensdorf. He's an award-winning author of eight novels, uh, I think you're not going to want to miss next week's uh, show. So don't please join me next week. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.